Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 4th. <coughs> so if you recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have our first of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our first for today comes from Galatians chapter 5. Verses 13 through 15, which says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So what we see here is that Paul distinguishes between the freedom to sin and the freedom to serve. So what we should see is that freedom or or the license to sin is no freedom at all. Because it enslaves you to Satan. It enslaves you to others, and it could enslave you to your own sinful nature. So as Christians, by contrast, we should not be slaves to sin, because we are free to do right and to glorify God through loving service to others. So Paul then goes on to finish his thoughts on freedom in Christ (coughs) by telling us that we as believers lose the motivation of love when we become critical of others. In other words, what we do is we stop looking for good in others and we start seeing only their faults. And the ultimate result of this is that we will sooner rather than later lose our unity, which is the most important thing that we can have in our fight against Satan and his allies. The devil and his allies is unity. And now for the hard part of all of this, how do we apply this to our lives? In order to apply what Paul is teaching here, teaching us here to our lives, we must ask each of ourselves these deep and probing questions. Have we talked behind someone back? Or specifically, have you (coughs) talked behind someone's back? And or have you focused on other shortcomings instead of their strengths? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, and if you are being really truthful with yourself, then the answer to both of these questions is yes, and here is what you need to do. Remind yourself of Jesus' command to love others as you love yourself. You can find that command in Matthew 22, verse 39. And the best way to do this 
is to find a way to remember that each person, to remember each person's or each person or person's positive quality. And the quickest and easy way to do that is to make a list of that person or person's positive qualities when you begin to feel critical of them in any way, shape, or form. <coughs> and finally, we must remember this. When problems need to be addressed, confront them in love rather than gossip about them. And so today's Bible readings are Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 through 23, verse 23. Acts chapter 2, Psalm 122, verses 1 through 9. And Proverbs 16, 19 through 20. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We are now going to begin through the Bible in one year segment. So we are now in today 154 of this segment. So just a brief reminder, friendly reminder, if you have missed any of these segments, you can get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. Again, that is upstatechristian.com. So our focus for today is going to be in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. So what we'll see here is that today's passage begins Jesus' final comments to the crowds that have probably been following him for close to three years now. And in this section, we see Jesus predict his death once again. And we see the continuing theme that is a run throughout John's Gospel of light versus darkness. And in this passage for today, we also see Jesus interacting with two groups of people. We see him interacting or not interacting with groups who have been converted to Judaism. And we see him interacting with the crowd of ethnic Jews that had gathered for Passover week. So now let's pick up in verse 20 and go through verse 26 to begin with. So here's what that says. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, 
Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. <clears throat> Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So these those verses, these verses here became Jesus' final comments to the crowds, as we have already said. So the mention of the Greeks, or to be more precise, the Gentiles, were people of non-Jewish origin. We're interested in seeing Jesus. Oh, we're interested in Jesus. Likely increased the Pharisees' frustration and proved that many were following Jesus. So the, these Gentiles and these Greeks' interest in interest foreshadows the church's outreach to the Gentile world or to the non-Jewish world <coughs> and their status as heirs of God's promise. So we're gonna deal with this group of people and Jesus' reaction to them once we get all the way through dealing with all of the basics surrounding this passage. So for right now, we're going to move on. So we see that Jesus, Jesus seemingly ignored Philip's and Andrew's request by the Greeks to speak to him, and instead announced the arrival of his hour. And so we see that Jesus says his death would not merely be the pathway to glory, but would be glory itself. So he explained the significance of the hour's arrival in a parable describing the result of his death. That's what we see in verse 24, where it says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. <coughs> Parable's point is this, that the death of a single seed, Jesus, bears much fruit, which be the salvation of sinners. Therefore, Jesus' death would bring much glory and fruit to God. Jesus then goes on to explain to his followers that death is the pathway to life. So the choice that we have here is clear. Love this world and lose your soul, or reject its worldliness for Christ's sake, and experience eternal life. So now let's pick up in verse 27, and we're going to go through verse 29. So here is what this says. It says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now it is for this no, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. 
Now, John, now returns to focus on Genesis Outlast, what verse 27 is all about. Right? So, aware of his impending crucifixion, we've seen that Jesus was deeply troubled. So, the agony that he faced was not a fear of dying, but the contemplation of the sinless Son of God bearing the sins of the world. We see that Jesus' passion, however, was ultimately for the Father's glory. And everything that Jesus said, everything he did, he needed to glorify his Father. And then we see that the Father then in turn speaks to him and says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. But the crowd heard it as thunder, right? So the crowd heard the voice of God as being thunder. Jesus heard it as God speaking to him. So it seems that the thunder that came from heaven that the crowd thought was thunder, or the crowd thought was angels speaking to him, was God's response to Jesus' prayer. And we also see that some in the crowd clearly thought the thunder was an angel speaking to Jesus. So now let's pick up in verse 30 and go through verse 33. Which says, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So what's going on here, right? So we see that Jesus now explains that what they had heard was in actual fact God's voice and that it was meant for them and not for Jesus. So we also see that the cross was God's judgment on the world and that if one looks at the cross from a worldly perspective it looks like the defeat of Jesus but in reality it was Satan's defeat as God had already made perfectly clear all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. So not only was it the overthrow of Satan but it was also the means of salvation <coughs> for sinners. So the result of Jesus being lifted up means that all kinds of people without regard to nationality or status would be drawn to him. So the cross is a point of unity. It is designed to attract people from every walk of life. Doesn't matter what race you come from. Doesn't matter what creed you come from. Doesn't matter what nation you come from. Doesn't matter if you're American, Canadian, British, German, French, you name it. Salvation that God is offering you, the gift God is offering you, the death that Jesus died is, and the gift that death offers you, brought to you, brings to you, what that death brings to you.
who is open and available to anyone and everyone who will come to the cross. So enough about that for right now. So let's move on, let's finish up this section in John chapter 12 by going through verses 34 and 36. So here is what that section says. The crowd spoke up, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you will become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So let's look at what's going on here. So what we see here is that the crowd clearly thought that Jesus' teaching contradicted Dicted the scriptures they had heard, the scriptures they had been taught, and the scriptures they thought they knew concerning the Messiah. So we already saw that yesterday when we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry and what it really actually meant when he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So again, just to reiterate it, they believed in a triumphant and conquering Messiah. They, they thought they believed in one who was going to come in triumph, and who was going to conquer the Romans, who was going to conquer the world, so that the Jewish people could be back on top of the world again, a place they had never really ever actually been but a place they clearly thought they should be. <coughs> but what Jesus spoke of was death, because that was the way forward. That was God's plan all along. Because as we will find out later, as we continue to go through the Bible, we're going to find out, even though you already have guessed this, the wages of your sin are death. Not physical death, but spiritual death. So when Jesus died on the cross and took your sins upon himself, and became the perfect sacrifice that the Old Testament called for, and so he became the way for you, to gain salvation. So we see that Jesus didn't answer their uh, we see that Jesus didn't answer their question directly. Rather he concluded Jesus did not answer their question directly, rather he concluded his discourse by making an impassioned appeal for faith. Because they had to believe while they had the opportunity. We see that after he had finished speaking to the crowd, he hid himself from public view, where he withdrew himself 
from public speaking, public preaching, public teaching. And he did not appear publicly again until his arrest. So now that we have covered the basics of this passage, it is time to dig deeper by answering the burning questions that have arisen out of this passage. And we're going to focus on answering three questions that arise out of this passage. And those three questions are, why wouldn't Jesus meet with the Greeks? Who is the prince of this world? And why did Jesus hide? So, question number one. Why wouldn't Jesus meet with the Greeks? So, which brings up another question, right? So, why didn't he meet with them? So, why did he seem to evade issue and begin another teaching discourse rather than being open-minded. So there are two possible explanations. The first ones, first explanation, possible explanation, is that the Greeks were known for their interest in exploring novel philosophies and new ideas, even those that had been converted over to Judaism still were fascinated by new and novel ideas, new and novel philosophies, new and novel ideas, new and novel religions that they wanted to explore, they wanted to talk about, they wanted to hear more about, learn more about, so they could discuss them. So it is possible that this group of uh, Greek-speaking Greek Jews, Greek practice of Judaism, it's possible their desire to see Jesus was motivated more by intellectual curiosity than by spiritual hunger. That's the first possibility. The second possibility, and this is the more likely one, is that Jesus saw this request from these Gentiles as a signal. So that means that at the hour of his mission, as the savior of the world, was coming to a climax. And he would now devote his full attention to the task ahead, which was dying for the sins of the world. So in other words, his hour, his public ministry had come to a close. So now he was solely focused on putting an end to it. If they had come and asked earlier, there's a good possibility that he may have agreed to meet with him. Don't know. And we won't know until we get to heaven. And by that point in time, it's not really gonna matter why Jesus didn't meet with these Greek-speaking, these Greek Jews, these Greek practicers of Judaism. So now we come to question number two. Who is the quote-unquote prince of the world? So, this is going to be interesting, right? So this is a title for Satan, for the devil, that's he is currently 
holding a limited power keyword. There's limited power over the people of this world. So, in other words, he's been given charge of this world nominally for a little while. He has limited power of what happens to the people of this world for a little while. And Jesus, however, anticipating his death and resurrection, was preparing to dethrone Satan. Because you see, Satan won't be fully and completely dethroned from his limited power over this world until Jesus comes back the second time when he will establish his millennial kingdom on this earth. When he will actually take the throne that is rightfully his and be not only our Lord and Savior, but our sovereign ruler. And in the age to come, Satan will be powerless and confined forever under judgment. So we gotta remember that Satan is for a limited time the quote-unquote prince of this world. But it's only for a limited time. Because see, the battle has already been lost and he knows it's already been lost. So he's gonna try everything in his power to prevent us from fulfilling our mission on this earth. So which now brings us to the third and final question we gotta answer from this passage. And that is, why did Jesus hide? So why did he withdraw himself from the public eye? So we see that as Jesus' public ministry drew to a close, soon the opportunity for the Jews to accept him as their Messiah. So Jesus may have hidden from them to underscore what he had just told them, that soon the light would be taken from them. But more likely, Jesus left the public eye because his ministry on earth was finished. It was done. Now he's going to minister to his disciples for the last few hours that he will spend with them. And so we will pick up from here tomorrow as we see how John describes the end of Jesus' early ministry. That will take us to the end of chapter 12. And then when we get into chapter 13, we're going to be into a really, really long section of John's of John's Gospel, which is going to go all the way through 17, which is what is called the Upper Room Discourse, which is what I was talking about. Jesus withdrew from the public phase of his ministry so that he could pass on his last and final words of instruction to his disciples, those that were going to be the ones that were tasked with carrying out the remainder of that would be left to carry on where Jesus left off. Jesus' mission was to come to prepare to to die for the sins of the world. The disciples' mission 
was to go out and to make more disciples, was to spread the good news throughout the world. And so before he could do that, he had to withdraw from the public faith of his ministry. And his ministry came to a close, so that he could prepare those that were going to take up the reins of his ministry later. And so we're going to see tomorrow how it ends, and then the next day, Monday, which will be the fifth, we're going to see how Jesus started to prepare his disciples for their mission after he was gone. And so in order for you to be prepared for tomorrow's discussion, which is going to be on the on how John finally describes the end of Jesus' public ministry, here's what you need to read. You need to read Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 24 through chapter 24 verse 25, Acts chapter 3. Psalm 123, 1-4, and Proverbs 16, 21-23.